Hey, I'm Michael Whistler, and I sincerely believe that science fiction can help us save the world. On this episode, I want to talk a little bit about, is the human race worth saving? This is Exploring Tomorrow. Welcome to a new season of Exploring Tomorrow. Uh, I took uh, January 2021 sort of off, uh, off from doing uh, the podcast, uh, just to be able to gather my thoughts and kind of get the year started in terms of my day job and all those kinds of things. I also turned 40 uh, at the beginning of the month. In fact, uh, the day that I turned 40 uh, was also the day a bunch of yahoos decided to storm our Capitol building and try to overthrow democracy. So that was was a weird birthday. Um, I'd like to never see that happen again. Uh, But it makes the topic today oddly poignant and um, very prescient that idea of is the human race worth saving we uh, go through many struggles Uh, we can just look through history there's so much really Uh, and just in the past year uh, since the coronavirus pandemic has really taken off and really wrapped around the world Uh, i think the topic of what exactly is the human race and why do we fight so hard to, to continue existing uh, is one that's worth exploring. Now, obviously, there's the natural basic response, the, the basic survival instinct that we all have. We all want to survive. We all want to stick around for as long as possible. So, of course, that extends to our species, and that is just entirely biologically true of all species. Every animal has a uh, survival instinct, and that's why we eat and procreate and fight like hell when we're put into a corner, because we are going to do everything we can to survive. The unique thing about the human race is that we are equipped with what seems to be a unique level of introspection within the animal kingdom. And given that we haven't really encountered uh, intelligent alien life uh, that might be at a similar level or even beyond in terms of cognitive ability, self-awareness, and ability to think abstractly and and introspect the way we do. Uh, It seems like we're the only... uh, we're the only frame of reference we have, <laughs> basically, and, and, and how all of that plays out. And we may be unique in that capacity um, in the animal kingdom in terms of contemplating the worthiness of our own existence. Are we worth preserving? Are we worth keeping around? Uh, and it's an interesting topic that comes up in science fiction in various forms, in recurring ways, you know, uh, there are pessimistic views of the human race that would essentially have us 
believe that we are a virus that infects everything we touch and that we just kind of take over and uh, deplete the resources or a parasite in that sense. Certainly that would be Agent Smith in the Matrix, right? Saying uh, the human race is a virus. There are other more hopeful views of uh, the human race out there as well in science fiction that argue for our inherent worth, uh, are the, the sort of embracing the contradiction that is our utter insignificance and yet our rarity and preciousness uh, as we see uh, played out in contact. Uh, that's, you know, especially in the movie, uh, Jodie Foster's character gives that impassioned speech towards the end of the film where she talks about being given a glimpse of just how small and insignificant and yet how rare and precious each one of us is. And so there are, I think, varying views and, and really oftentimes these views are presented and put up for debate. Uh, and to be fought against. I mean, just in the two examples I've cited, Matrix, we have basically the villain, the bad guy, citing that the human race is a virus. And, and in contact, we have the heroine of the story uh, talking about how rare and precious uh, and yet insignificant we are. So there are different, definitely some, some of those kinds of things to take into account. Um, but is it always... Is it always presented as human, the human race is worth saving? I'm curious about that. I'm actually curious about what kinds of stories maybe you've come across as a science fiction reader, viewer, that debate these kinds of stories. Uh, the reason it comes to mind for me, uh, in light of the tumultuous times we're in, uh, is also that I recently finished reading a really fascinating book by Neil Stevenson called Seven Eves. And at the core of Seven Eves is this whole idea of saving the human race. And it gets into this to a degree, I think not in a didactic, uh, I don't think its purpose is quite to dissect that reality and try to make a, an assertion one way or the other that the human race is or is not worth saving. At the same time, it can't help deal with it because it's the story of the potential demise of the human race. Uh, in short, if you haven't uh, run across this book, uh, I do recommend it. It's really fascinating. It's a, it's a long book, and it is it has a ambitious uh, scope to it in terms of the amount of time and story that is ultimately covered within it. It would definitely, it, it's unadaptable to a movie. It's one of those novels. It's just simply unadaptable to a movie. At best, you could do a TV show. Um, but I'm not even sure how well it would do as a TV show. I think it really is just, it's one of those, it's a novel and it's a great novel in its own right. And that's what it should always be. <laughs> so if you want to check it out, you're, you're going to need to read or, or listen to the audiobook. I recommend it because it tackles in a very thoughtful way uh, hu the human race as a whole in the near future 
coping with its own imminent demise when the moon uh, suffers a catastrophic event. And what's kind of cool about this is, uh, spoiler alert for, for those of you who don't want to get too far into uh, knowing too much about this, but this isn't giving away too much yet, but they never really quite figure out exactly what happened to the moon. They have some theories, uh, but I kind of like that. I like that it's mysterious and strange and reminds us that there is so much more about the universe that we do not quite fully understand or grasp. Uh, things like primordial black holes, things that you know could do what is um, described in the book as ultimately shattering the moon and splitting it up into all these pieces. And at first it's just this like really bizarre, strange event that, that captivates everyone. But then slowly, as scientists begin to, to wrap their heads around what has happened, they begin to appreciate and understand that not, not just what has happened, or actually even to, to a degree, they begin to appreciate and understand that what has happened doesn't matter as much as what is about to happen, which is in due course of time, all the the debris from the moon is eventually going to start raining down on Earth. And, it, and it's essentially going to devastate Earth. It's going to create um, the uh, conditions that are just uninhabitable. So it's going to cause the extinction, mass extinction uh, on Earth. And of course, that means the human race has to then cope with what are we going to do? It's, you know far enough into our future that we're, we're even a little more into space. Uh, but it's not, it's not, it's not real far, you know, it's not real far into the future. So I mean, what's kind of cool is like, they're still using, uh, Neil Stevenson uses these very real things like the international, uh, space station and, and then uses that as the basis for how the human race begins to build, 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 and build and work towards existing off planet outside of the range of the, uh, uh the white sky, um, as they call it, the, the, the burning debris that's going to rain down, burning up through the atmosphere and ultimately cause the extinction of the human race. Uh, some, there's a lot of characters to, to the book, but you know, central one of the central characters in the book is this Neil deGrasse Tyson type uh, character, very charismatic uh, scientist and, and science advocate who was, who was a public persona, and uh, he's one of you know the key people in sort of figuring out what's going on um, as an astrophysicist and getting a kind of the word out and getting the understanding, advising political leaders and all of that. And so there, it, it details, I think, in a, in a really beautiful way because of using the different characters and making it personal, what could be uh, just a really big thought experiment. And that's, that's really good science fiction to me when you can take this like big concept that would just be this massive thought experiment and you can actually personalize it and, and connect it to real emotional uh, journeys that uh, these characters are on and uh, what they're experiencing and how they're growing and changing as a result of what they're experiencing. Uh, some of the most heartbreaking stuff in the book is just the reality that 
at the point in the near future where this is all taking place, you know, there's 7 billion people on the planet and there's just no feasible way to save the vast majority of those 7 billion people. So how, how do you give people purpose and meaning in the face of imminent death? And how do you maintain order? How does the world not just break out into some crazy war? And so all these things start, you know, to become very relevant in, new, in a new way within the book. And how do you do what you can do to contribute to the continuation of our species? Uh, what I like about that, too, is that there is this real aspect of being involved in a story that is bigger than ourselves. So we see, you know, some characters respond very selfishly, but we also see some characters respond very altruistically, understanding that, yep, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those people that's selected to get to go live in orbit and live past the uh, white sky and, you know, that's, that's not in it for me, but what I can do is do my part in the meantime to get, make sure the supplies and, and the, the people that are going are going safely, um, ensuring that all of the information that will be necessary for the survival of the human species uh, will be readily made available. And what's daunting about this is it requires a level of imagination that far exceeds what most of us experience because the white sky and the decimation of earth in this scenario is going to last thousands of years thousands of years so basically like five thousand years before the earth would even potentially be habitable again and that only if humans survive and intervene to basically re-terraform the earth and make it once again a habitable place for animals and humans big ask for anyone to have that kind of level of imagination to think 5,000 years out most of us maybe it's maybe it's just me I struggle to think about what I'm doing next week let alone think about what's going on 5,000 years from now and yet to step back and, and soak in that kind of story that's one of the things I love about science fiction is when you get that kind of sense of scale and time and it holds up a mirror to me of how, how I look at my life, my place on this planet, my, my place within this, the human species and what are my contributions? What kind of world am I leaving behind? for that generation that's going to come along a thousand, two thousand, five thousand years from now. 
I don't know that outside of science fiction we often enough get that level of understanding, that level of that big ask for us to engage in that level of imagination and of building a future that is sustainable for future generations, that it, that it far exceeds any benefit to myself within my own lifetime, let alone the lifetime of my children or grandchildren. It's, we're talking about true longevity in our mindset. And it doesn't seem like there's enough of that on our planet. We are, I think we forget how short our lifetime is and then the impact we can have as, as a society, if we band together and, and actually work together to accomplish goals that potentially have an impact that isn't going to even be felt in our lifetime, but it ha is, is worthy of investment and of getting this big ball rolling for the good of the species. Maybe I'm just, you know, a bleeding heart liberal humanist. Uh, and I believe that it is worthy, you know, the human race is worthy of, of that kind of investment. But I, you know, I, I'm, I have my fair level of pessimism and, uh, so, you know, sometimes I kind of wonder, I look at some of the things happening in the world and, and I look at history and I think, I don't know, you know, we, uh, we certainly give, as a species, we certainly give optimists <laughs> a run for their money uh, when it comes to that question of, is the human race worth saving? But I don't want to give too much away about Seven Eves, um, but I think it's such a fascinating tale. And it does, I'll give this much away, it does span that scope of the, the 5,000 years. And it's fascinating uh, how uh, Stevenson sort of dissects uh, human tendencies and um, the way we tend to think uh, in, in bounded sets in, as groups. Our tribalism still uh, haunts us, but in new and unexpected ways 5,000 years from now. And, and I think therein lies the the troubling and fascinating nuance of such a story that's worth meditating because while there is success in saving the human race, there's also this real sense in which our limitations, our greed, our brokenness, uh, our self-centeredness and our short-sightedness continue to haunt us and continue to shape the choices uh, we make as a species. And one wonders if we can ever fully get around that, <laughs> right? Uh, certainly from a theological perspective, that would be where, you know, an external source of redemption is, is necessary. Um, and, Maybe, maybe there's some, something that of worth there. Um, 
as a, as a former Christian myself, like I would have certainly argued for that in years past. Uh, at this point, as a deist, uh, humanist, um, I find it a little more difficult to argue in, in that direction as much as arguing that there is something of incredible worth and value in being part of this great big story that is the human race and that is our struggle to exist. And how do we build societies and a world and potentially branch out into other worlds eventually that foster that same level of longevity uh, for the good of all the species and how do we get away from you know the the things that hurt our abilities to do that the things that stand in the way in a sense really you know to borrow from from abraham lincoln you know how do we really hold on to our better angels and uh work towards that kind of communal existence. Now, certainly plenty of people would point to uh, religion, uh, various religious traditions as being able to offer that level of value and worth and having that kind of impact. I, uh, it's certainly no coincidence that most um, hospitals uh, that we have today have some direct connection to uh, religious institutions um, and religious people who began those practices out of a sense of pious duty to care for the least of these. And, and when that really plays out uh, and is upheld, I think that's an absolutely beautiful, uh, uh, admirable thing. In fact, the highest recommendation for religion that can possibly exist, that, that level of selflessness. Uh, that human beings are even capable of that level of selflessness is one of the core things that continues to give me hope that the human race is indeed worth saving, worth investing in. Uh, whether we're coming at it from a secular perspective, the way uh, Neil Stevenson is in um, seven eves where he even talks about how after all of this goes down basically religions are more or less dead uh because well how could they not be <laughs> in, in light of all of that um but you know or we're coming at it from a more religious uh, theological perspective uh, i think there are ways to have these conversations and meet and commune and encourage the continued betterment of societies, beginning with the betterment of each one of us as people. And I think it's especially an especially poignant conversation in light of the politically divisive landscape that we see not just in the U.S., but throughout the world right now. It's been going on for a very long time, but we see it in a unique way, certainly as Americans uh, right now. And uh, I mentioned, you know, the, the attempted coup, really, uh, at the beginning of the episode. And that kind of, I mean, I never thought I would see something quite like that. And, but that kind of 
event, that kind of group think and tribalism reminds me that there's a lot of work that we need to do in terms of inspiring our greater imagination and connecting to our better angels and involving every last person in a larger context, a larger story that is the human struggle. And that ultimately bends towards justice, bends towards equality, bends towards fairness. Maybe it's not possible. So, you know, I've had some interesting conversations with friends in light of these recent events. And, you know, some, some would point out that maybe this is just the inherent weakness that we as a society ultimately uh, succumb to if, after a long enough period of not having to stand up and, and fight for our rights and really um, stand against oppression uh, in, in the ways that maybe past generations have had in, in world wars and, and the likes, then maybe we succumb. We become too lazy, too complacent, and, and we're just too weak to, to really do that. I'm hesitant to think that that's necessary because, well, my part of my struggle with that logic is that it seems to imply that only through war do we become stronger. Do we, are we vigilant? At the same time, I get it. It, I think it's a fair criticism. And have we become complacent? I think to a great degree, that is probably true. It, it is a human condition to assume that things kind of just continue as they always do uh, without uh, giving it much thought. And, you know, you, you see that, I think, happening in our world right now. And many of us are being shaken awake, have been shaken awake in the past five years to the realization that there are people who not only think very differently than us, um, but they're not halfway around the world. I mean, it's, we've been for decades, especially since 2001, keenly aware of terrorism and that there are terrorists who would like nothing more than to kill us. That's we get that, but there's a sense in which it's easy to disassociate and to think, yeah, but they're, you know, mostly way over there. And we're, we're taking our precautions to make sure that, uh, those, those events are not easily pulled off and that such terrorists cannot easily, uh, enact their plans. But the realization of late that, we have friends and neighbors and sometimes family members who believe they're totally right <laughs> and, and are justified in overthrowing uh, democracy in order to enact their will, their desire to uh, hold on to power uh, is definitely eye-opening and, and certainly for me a wake-up call that we must continue to be vigilant and work to build a world that 
doesn't allow that kind of thing to happen, but not, not, not allow it to happen in the way of we just uh, beat such people into submission. My hope is that we can engage their imaginations as well in building a more equitable world. Um, that's why I turn to science fiction a lot. And, uh, and that's why I hope that uh, more people will turn to science fiction and think about these scenarios and think about the kind of world that we can foster and how do we navigate these tough things that, that seem to remain with us as they do in Stevenson's novel, the greed and, and the tribalism and, and the selfishness. How do we navigate those things? What do we do to address them? Uh, how do we keep from becoming complacent and uh, dormant to these things or, or unaware of these things or willfully blind even to these things? How do we get outside of the context of our day-to-day -day existence in which, you know, understandably, I'm just trying to do my job and you're just trying to do your job and you've got your family to take care of and I've got my family to take care of and it's, uh, it's enough in a lot of, it's more than enough, in fact, in a lot of ways to, to fill our plates and to keep us busy and to keep us up at night and to make us stressed and worried and, and to then have to somehow step outside of all of that and say, yeah, but I also have to care about the civic duty I have as a citizen, not just of this country, but of this planet as a, a member of this species to engage and be part of solutions and the betterment of the world and the betterment of societies to the point where the future is brighter, not bleaker. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's telling that a lot of science fiction is, has a bleak tone to the future. There's a, a very real sense in which a lot of it is that cautionary tale sort of scenario. At the same time, uh, one of the reasons I've been trying to come to this podcast with discussions around what is positive or, or what are hopeful themes within science fiction uh, is because I think there's something powerful about engaging our imagination and giving us a target to actually aim for. So we need both. We need the cautionary tales and we need the hopeful, optimistic tales that give us something to aim at. Uh, and an idea of a better world that we can try towards, we can try moving towards, we can try building. And I think Seven Eves does kind of both. It raises some cautionary tale issues uh, and at the same time offers some genuine optimism. And because of that, I highly recommend it. I think it's really worthwhile checking out and I hope you will. I tried to keep from giving too many spoilers away. Uh, trust me, it's, like I said, big book, so there's a lot more going on there. Uh, I think it's still an absolutely enjoyable ride, even knowing what I've been able to, to tell you so far. And probably one that I'll want to revisit at some point and kind of go back through and contemplate a little deeper. Um, but yeah, that's how I wanted to kick off the new season thinking about where we're at. Is the human race worth saving? 
Well, gosh, I hope so. Because <laughs> I'm committed to trying. <laughs> Otherwise, why would I be here with this whole idea of sci-fi saves the world, right? Because um, it's really not even about so much sci-fi saves the world. Sci-fi saves us. Gives us uh, the ability to imagine and build something better. So... I hope to continue doing that and having more conversations. Looking forward to this season, bringing in some more guests. Uh, Going to be reading some interesting books this year, uh, trying to watch lots of cool stuff and just getting into some really fascinating discussions uh, with some cool guests that I've been chatting with about having on to the show. So that's just a little teaser for what we've got coming up next. Uh, I'll be trying to also take any, you know, incorporate any suggestions that anyone has. Uh, so if you've got ideas, questions, things that you want me to cover, please, by all means, uh, encourage you to reach out, comment, and let me know uh, what else you want me to dive into and explore, uh, movies or books that you would want me to check out and potentially review, uh, or guests I should have on. Um, as much as it's interesting, you know, I, I can talk and have fun, like hanging out and just kind of jibber jabber for a while. I have a lot more fun. I got to say, upon reflecting, as I was like working towards getting back into this this year, uh, I was reflecting on how the first season went. And I, I got to say, I have a lot more fun when I have a guest on. So I'm probably going to be looking to get more guests on the show uh, going forward. Let me know if that sounds like fun to you. Let me know if you would like to be a guest. Uh, I'm open to all those kinds of suggestions. And so, yeah, just reach out to me via my website, michaelwhistler.com. And as always, please encourage you to subscribe. Uh, and if you can, uh, leave a comment. Those are always helpful. And uh, if you're checking this out on, say, like iTunes or, or Apple Podcasts, I should say, um, rate it. Rate, rating the show is definitely really helpful. Uh, and subscribing or following the show is also incredibly helpful. And if you want to check out some of my fiction, uh, you know, I love writing science fiction, too, um, not just reading it. And uh, so I encourage you to do that. Uh, or as my... Uh, my mugs has asked me about my book. Uh, they're all available through uh, my website uh, and actually for sale directly from my publisher now in their new online bookstore. Uh, so I encourage you to check those out as well. I'll be sure to post links below where you can check those out. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, I hope this is an interesting discussion, especially in light of recent events. I hope that you too are encouraged to look at the big picture and to dare to dream big and to think a thousand, two thousand, five thousand years out about what kind of world we're leaving behind and what kind of society we're building and what the possibilities might be and um, what your part in that story might be even as small as it is i guarantee you your part is important in that story so be well be safe ask big questions and i'll see you here again bye